have been talking about what it means to be alive in Christ. And last week, we had the opportunity to hear uh, from one of our missionaries that we support, Mike Foster. Uh, he came and he spoke with us, and he, he delivered the word from uh, Colossians 1, verse 24 through 2, 5. Uh, really talking about the call of perseverance, the call of suffering for the Christian. Uh, that as we work for the Lord, he, he says, Paul describes himself as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, that he is going to the ends of the earth to push and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Uh, I love verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 1 is really kind of the heart of Paul's mission and work as a, as a disciple and a missionary to the churches and apostles. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the work that we strive for. This is what we hope for in our Christian walk, that we would become mature in Christ. And uh, as we have known that these Colossians are, are facing teaching from within their church, uh, false teachers have infiltrated, and they have started to teach them that they need some sort of deeper walk with the Lord, that they need to pursue some sort of deeper knowledge and power against demonic forces. They need to have uh, their their trust and their hope in these people to rescue them and save them uh, from uh, the evil that they face. And Paul has said, uh, trust in Christ alone. Uh, the beauty of what we see in, in the theology of Colossians is really this idea of union with Christ. What makes a difference for us as believers? Why can we face evil and know that we have power? It's because of Christ. We are in Christ. We are united to Him. Our identity is in Him. We are now seen as Jesus is seen through the lens of the Father. And so this morning we're going to cover first one of the first uh, interactions in, in Colossians 2. And Paul has now kind of moved out of the introduction, uh, kind of giving them this outlook. We want to present you mature in Christ. And now in verse 6, he starts to really address them and warn them. And so he says this, verse 6 says, uh, chapter 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord for the church. Amen. Amen. So there are a few things that I'd like to expound from the text this morning. Uh, really, I mean, one of the things that I try to do is I prepare a sermon for every week. 
Um, and as I try to think of some sort of illustration or question or something that helps us to connect to the message, and I, I have to admit to you uh, this morning that the first thing that I saw was uh, I was trying to think through this illustration and kind of trying to come up with something clever, and the Lord just like hit me over the head with two by four. It's like clever, same in the text. Um, and so Paul uses an illustration that is beautiful that I don't have to work really hard at making new. He says that we're rooted and built up in Christ. And so I want you to think for a moment of the process of growing something, whether it be a plant or a tree. Right? Uh, so trees and, and plants, they have root systems, and these root systems bring them nutrients so that they can survive, uh, so that they can uh, come to fullness and growth, and uh, so that they can become what they're meant to be. It's, it's kind of amazing, because as we look outside, there's some really big trees that are out here. I don't know if you've noticed a big tree as you walk in, the, the tree over here that sheds leaves and acorns and drives everybody nuts all fall. Uh, it is right here. In fact, it's, we had to trim it back this year because uh, there was so much moss growing on our, our roof that we had to just like do something to like, dry it all up and, and make sure that we weren't growing green fungus on the back of the church. You're welcome. That's really beautiful to think about. It's driving like good appreciation for a clean church. Amen. <laughs> but that tree, as we look at it, we think, wow, that's amazing. It's beautiful. It's big. It's, it's huge. It's strong. It's why I can't imagine trying to take that thing down. That's just what's on the surface. That tree is only as big as it is because of its root structure. The moment that the, the, the roots are cut out, that whole tree shrivels up and dies. It becomes an ugly tree with no leaves and no acorns. That sounds kind of nice when I look at it. <laughs> but nonetheless, if you cut the root out of that tree, it's no longer going to receive its nourishment and what it needs to thrive and become what it is meant to be. And so Paul uses this illustration as he comes to them, as he says in verse 6, that therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is this continuation of this argument that we're going to see throughout the book of Colossians. Paul says again and again and again, as you have received Christ Jesus, walk in him. Now think about this. If we receive a gift, there's not a whole lot that we do to unreceive that gift, right? That if somebody gives you a gift and says, here you go, here's something that you can have, something you can appreciate, you can hold on to it. You are the recipient. You have done nothing to earn that gift. You have done nothing to, to, uh, to work it up in such a way that it's, you're deserving of it. It was just given to you. And, and this might sound a little sad, but this is exactly what God does for us in salvation. He gives us salvation. In Christ, we've been given our salvation and our hope. He says, here is the gift. The gift of God, the good news that Jesus has died for our sins, was buried and rose from the grave. Through repentance and faith, we can now stand in righteousness with him. This is a gift given to us. And so Paul tells him, as you receive this gift, walk in it. And then he uses that illustration, rooted and built up in him. So first of all, we come to salvation because we are rooted in Christ. If you take Christ away from salvation, we are lost and separated from God. This is if we are rooted in him. Our nourishment, our life, our vitality comes in Christ. So we are rooted in him. 
But Paul then carries out the illustration a step further by saying, as you've been rooted in him, be built up in him. So Paul is saying to these Colossians, if you want to continue to grow, you grow not by all of these actions, you grow by resting in your roots. And I don't know about you, but at our house we have tried to plant many things. It never goes well. You should ask Rachel sometime about houseplant. Houseplant died. Houseplant was a gift from her sister, uh, Rebecca. She gave us this thing, like, really cute, really cool. It was a binding. We were like, the first thing I thought was, the cats are going to eat that. <laughs> but as we were given houseplant, we had this, this call to water it to make sure that it was taken care of. And we miserably failed. I miserably failed. Okay. She's giving me a look right now because she's always just telling me, can you go water houseplant? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Yeah, it's fun. And sure enough, as it lost all of its water and nutrients, it just died out. And, you know, when we moved into our house, we had this whole area in our backyard uh, that kind of like our yard slopes down uh, towards this corner. And right at the top of the slope, all of the water from our driveway comes there and then it runs down into the grass. The grass down at the bottom, amazing. Nice, thick, green grass. The stuff at the top was like brown and disgusting. Just total dirt. And I was like, ew, this is gross. Nobody wants to see this in their lawn. So I did all this work. I raked it all out. I planted these seeds that were like bright blue and had this jelly stuff on the outside. I watered that grass. I kept waiting for it. And I kept watering it. I kept waiting. I kept watering. I kept waiting. And what killed me the whole time was I just wanted to see it sprout up. But there was nothing I could do. Absolutely nothing I could do. All I could do was wait. But I eventually got to see the grass grow. And that ugly brown spot went away. And it became mediocre grass. And then it became uh, a piece of grass. We're still working on it. But nonetheless, we saw it come to life. But it, it took work for that to come alive. And it takes work for us to come alive. The work that we cannot accomplish, the work that we cannot fulfill, it's through Christ's work that we come alive. So we're to be rooted in him. We're to be built up in him. And this isn't just the picture of building a tree, like digging a hole, a really shallow hole, and throwing a tree into it and saying, okay, hey, that's good now. It's going to grow real tall, but it might get swayed by the wind. Paul says we're to be established in the faith. And specifically this word of faith right here, the, the word for faith is not this idea of I'm putting my trust in Christ. This is the teaching of the apostles. The teaching of scripture. So we're to be rooted in Christ, built up in him, established in what we know in the gospel. It gives a sense of security, the sense of something that is immovable. And then verse, the last part, verse 7, he says, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. One of the marks that we should see in a Christian's life is that they are thankful people. That we would not just be thankful, but that we would abound in thanksgiving. And again and again and again, week after week, we come to the Lord as we gather together as a church and say, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, God, that I have been able to get my feet out of bed this morning. Thank you, God, that I can come together in a hot, old, historic New England building and worship with others. Thank you, God, that there are ceiling fans and fans that are oscillating to give us some sort of relief from all this heat. Thank you, God, that I have the opportunity to hang around with people who I haven't seen in a few weeks or a few days, and that we connect, even if it means another hour of time. So Paul starts this whole section here in chapter 2, and what we're going to start to see in chapter 3, with this illustration. You're rooted in Christ, you're built up in Him, and you are to abound in thanksgiving. That is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. But then he gives them three warnings, and today what we're going to do is we're going to see uh, really on display this first warning that Paul has, uh, beginning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So as you have been rooted and built up and established in a faith in Christ, as you walk in Christ, here's the first warning, Christian. Do not be deceived. Do not be taken captive by philosophy. Do not be taken captive by human tradition, by what is according to elemental spirits of the world. As Paul gives this instruction, he first says they're not to be taken captive. So who are they held captive by? They're held captive by the false teachers that are here in the Colossian church. They're teaching them, hey, it's great that you've become a Christian, it's great that you have Jesus, but you need more. You need something deeper. And Paul is saying, no, be in Christ. Those roots go real deep. Be in Christ. But first, we see that their, their attack is, is kind of fourfold by philosophy. And, and philosophy can often be, hey, if you do these things, then it will result in this, or a, a belief, a, a, some sort of logical conclusion. And so for, for these false teachers, it was, if you trust in us to provide this safety net for you, if you follow our instructions, then you will receive the fullness that we have described. Their philosophy was not rooted in the fear of God, it was rooted in the fear of man. Their philosophy was not rooted in faith, it was rooted in their own work, in their own action. And so Paul says to them, do not be taken captive by philosophy. And then this is where Paul gets real sharp. He goes on to say, and empty deceit. So these claims from these false teachers have been, this stuff that Paul is teaching you is elementary. You need to grow up in your faith. And Paul turns around and says to them, these false teachers, Colossians, are telling you something deep, but what they really are giving you is full of nothing. It is empty with deceit. This is his dagger that he throws at these false teachers. He says, you're not building up in anything. You're building up in nothing. Your claims amount to nothing. And they're rooted in human tradition. They're rooted in what they have seen to be a mysterian and mythological growth that they have seen in their Gentile world. 
It says that according to elemental spirits of the world, they're relying on their, their pagan roots to give them instruction of what it looks like to walk in Christ. And Paul just says flat out, this is not according to Christ. So Paul starts with this warning. But then he goes on to teach from this morning. And there are three things that I, I want to teach you about, realities that we have in Christ Realities that we can trust about Christ this morning. And I can tell you these three things come from a, a really well-known scholar, uh, an Anglican guy. His name is Dick Lucas. Uh, if you ever get the chance to listen to something that he's preached or a book that he's written, pick it up. He's a really solid guy. But he, he gives three signs of realities in Christ that we have um, for Colossians 2, verses 9 to 15. The first is that there's fullness in Christ. Fullness in Christ, verses 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So says, there is fullness in Christ. Uh, these false teachers have been proclaiming there's some sort of special filling that these Colossians need in order to continue in their, their deep walk with the Lord. But Paul is telling them something deep has already taken place. That the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in man. And so we need to think about two things this morning. First, the incarnation. That Jesus came, fully God, into human flesh. That he came and he dwelt among us. That he was the representation of God, fully God, on earth, born of a virgin, and yet fully man, capable of feeling with us, empathizing with us, knowing our weaknesses and our struggles. Friends, there is no deeper reality than the incarnation. Talk about the fullness of God. You want to see the fullness of God on display? Look to Jesus. There is no other work like the incarnation that points us to how big and mysterious and powerful God is. God can be above us, above time. He can create us, and yet he can enter into existence with us through the person of Christ. That is mind-blowing. That is huge. Yet it's something that we as Christians continue to check off the box and say, yep, we believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Remind yourself, Jesus came in the flesh. No other God has done that. No one else has gotten into the flesh to save his people. It says in verse 10 that if Jesus dwells bodily, that we have been filled in him. So he attacks this special filling. He says, you have already been filled with Christ. And Paul's using a play on words here to, to attack these false teachers and say, their fullness does not come from what you give them. Their fullness comes from what God gives them in Christ. And he describes Jesus as the head of all rule and authority. We should think to Revelation, especially Revelation 4, as we see the angels worshiping God and saying, holy, holy, holy. Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We should see the picture of God, that Jesus, 
is the command and rule of all authority. This is second, the second piece. Not only was Jesus incarnated, but he ascended. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the good news we hear in Hebrews 1, that by Christ, who is the image of the perfect God, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. This is how big our God is, friends. He's the head of all rule and authority, and therefore, he's superior over any demonic forces. We see this pictured in the Gospels again and again. As Jesus is confronted with demonic realities, and he speaks, and they run. They flee. They flee. Know that. Read through the Gospels this week. Read through Mark chapter 4. Again, remind yourself that as Jesus is encountered by demonic reality, he stands up with the authority of God and pushes against the evil forces because the darkness cannot overcome the light. So there is fullness in Christ. There's also freedom in Christ. Verses 11 and 12. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the there is freedom in Christ. It is interesting that Paul picks out, uh, especially this idea of circumcision. It, it reminds us again of the background of the book of Colossians. They're in Lycus Valley. Uh, this is a, a mainly Gentile area. So this idea of circumcision is, is, could be somewhat foreign to them. But nonetheless, what it points out to them is some sort of outward action that is supposed to represent inward reality. So it could be that these false teachers were telling these believers, hey, in order for you to really show your commitment to Christ, you need to be circumcised. Guys, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to them that Christ has set them apart with a mark and seal of his goodness and work in them that does not exist in an outward reality. He has given them the Spirit is given them the Holy Spirit, that they have been made new. That this work of Christ is not a work of hands, but that they have been set apart by the work of Christ, by Him and Him alone. The, the second aspect of freedom in Christ comes in this picture of baptism. It says, having been buried with Him in baptism. And what we see in it is our freedom comes when we die to sin. So when we baptize people, we say that you have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. And what we're saying to, to people here, what we're proclaiming is a public reality, is that in Christ, through his death on the cross, as he was buried, he paid the penalty for our sin. And when people are baptized and they're dumped into the water, they are claiming we are dying to our sin through the work of Jesus. In Jesus, what once held us captive has now been set free. So we have died to sin. And then he goes further to say, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God 
Again, we talked about the incarnation being the oldest reality of God's presence among us. Here's another amazing reality of the work of God, something that should be so large to us, something that we should continue to run to and hold with just greatness and joy in our heart. The resurrection. If Jesus dies and stays dead, we stay dead. But Jesus rose from the grave. He was resurrected from the grave. And through his resurrection, we have been made alive. So we have died to sin, but God's ultimate power has been put on display in the resurrection, which calls us to faith. That as we place our faith in Christ, we go from death to life. Friends, there's fullness in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. And there's fellowship in Christ. Again, you hear these pictures. Verse 13, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, friends, God made alive together with him. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is fellowship with Christ? You know, we talk about fellowship, sometimes we think about the praise, right? Fellowship with praise. Uh, we talk about fellowship, sometimes we think about the community aspect of what it means for us to get together as the church. Uh, to, it's a weird way to say, have community together, right? We, we exist together, we do life together, fellowship. Uh, but really, fellowship is more than a picture of common community, it's more than a picture of a movie, it is a picture of what Jesus has done. You are dead, you're alive. Not only have you been saved, you are now in community. With not just other believers, but with God Almighty, who has made you and formed you, and spoken creation into existence, and who has saved you. Your community is with Him. That is the news that is amazing to us. And there are two blessings that come in this picture of the gospel. The picture of the gospel is we're dead in our sins, we've been made alive with Christ. And two of the blessings, the first, We've been forgiven of our sin. He says, He has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So, then one wrong that you just wish you could take out and make right. God has made it right. God has that reality sink in may it cause you to praise God when you see the blessings of the work of Christ Jesus and celebrate them there's also deliverance from evil he's delivered us from evil he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame now I picture Right? And then I picture the ultimate defeat. The ultimate defeat is in Christ who has overcome sin 
in his canceled the debt. These blessings were won perfectly on the cross. A lot of people, have you ever heard this claim, I don't know if I can come to God because I've just done something so wrong in my life. How can he ever love somebody like me? Have you ever heard that? Anybody else encountered that from someone? Who said, how can God love me? I've done all these things. Maybe you're sitting in the room today thinking, how can God love a miserable sinner like me? Friend, hear this good news. He did. I sent him Jesus. He died on the cross for you to take your shame. I, I love that Paul says that he put these rulers and authorities to open shame. The shame and guilt of our sin has been not just destroyed, it has been triumphantly destroyed in Christ. You cannot escape the reach of the gospel of Christ. You may feel unworthy. You may feel unloved. But you are not too far from God's love and worth in Christ. It says the debt was canceled with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He disarmed the powers. And ultimately, this, this picture of this reality is as we have been rooted in Christ, as we're built up in Him, we're to walk in Him, which means that we need to be aware of the reality of empty deceit and philosophy. And so there are a couple of realities that we face presently as Christians within our church. Uh, not here, necessarily, but as the church in America. Okay, here's one false teaching that we need to be aware of, that there's a deeper walk with Jesus. Be aware of that false teaching, that you, in your own capacity, could gain a depth with Christ that he has not already given to you. Friend, the beautiful reality is we don't graduate out of salvation with Christ. We have been given our new identity. We've been called sons and daughters. We've been called heirs with Christ. And that came through the depth of the cross. The depth of the grave that Jesus came out of. The sin that was in your record has been removed. Everything that has separated you from God has now been given to you in Christ and given you root. You don't have to run to God and say, God, I need more. I need more of this. I need to have more power, more knowledge, more of this, so that I can be right with you. Friend, you are right with God in Christ. You don't need to have some sort of experience that you, that you can say, hey, look at how deep my relationship with Christ is. Your relationship with Christ is deep because he was deep enough to go to the grave for you. You don't need more depth than that. You don't need to be graduated out of the grave of sin and into a present position of authority and power. Your position of authority and power comes from your King, your Lord, your Savior. The depth of your relationship with God is given in Christ. There's not much more. There's really not anything more that we can do to deepen those roots. They're immovable. I feel like that crazy question you have in your 
your yard that you just can't get rid of. You chop it down, it grows back, it's a forsythia. So again and again, blooming, creating these giant, beautiful yellow flowers that last like a week, right? <laughs> and they grow again, and they grow again, and they die, and they grow again. This is the walk of the Christian with Christ. We bear fruit, and then we die to sin, and we bear fruit, and we die to sin. We bear fruit, we die to sin. Your death and your reality is in Christ. So avoid that false teaching. Run from it. If somebody tells you, okay, hey, it's nice that you've got Jesus, but you need to do this. Run from that. I think that uh, there, are, there are genuine brothers and sisters, especially in the Pentecostal church that I can rub shoulders with and appreciate that are about the gospel. But one thing I very much so disagree with them on is this reality that you need another baptism to give you power to do evangelism. That's not in the Word of God. We have been signed and sealed with the authority of Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have been made from death to life. We do not need another baptism to empower us for the Word of God. That is not true. Not for the present Christian. And they have been true for the first disciples as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come after Jesus' ascension. But thereafter, you see continually Again and again, nobody's waiting for another coming of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the scripture. You look to Ephesians 1. Sign, seal, deliver. So you disagree with them, so run away from that false teaching that you need another baptism to empower you to do the work of evangelism. I also push back against the false teaching that you need to speak in tongues to be saved. We don't see that in the scripture. That is not said in the scripture. It says that there might be some advantage. I always like to say I'm a cautious cessationist. I'm not going to put God in the box and say he can't do all these things. But I'm not going to run and say he has to do them in his order. Let God decide who is the gift. It says that the Spirit gives us the gift. That he gives us all of our gifts. And sometimes we might be running for something that we don't have in Missing the opportunity he's given us to extend mercy or patience or to bless one, to give, to sacrifice. So run away from false teaching that tells you you need these further things to be right in Christ. Friend, you are right in Christ through repentance and faith. We would have more repentant Christians. More Christians who are trusting God even when they don't have the answers. More Christians who would say, God, you through your power and your majesty save the people. I'm convinced that we would see again the impressions how big God is and how glorious the gospel is. So let us never be held captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, maybe a, another outside of the church philosophy and empty deceit is that God cannot be interacting in his creation. Uh, there are plenty of people who are all across the board in how the world was created, or there's Big Bang, or, or how long it took. Listen, I'm convinced God created the world. 
And therefore, as much as we see the world crumbling, I believe that God can hold it together. So push back against that, that philosophy that God is totally out of touch, that he doesn't do anything good because there's bad things happening in the world and it's crumbling. Listen, friend, I don't know all the reasons why God does allows things to happen. Ask your buddy Job why God allows things to happen. I have no clue why God found it fit for Job to suffer and go for what he did, but he did. And in the end, his power was on his life. And Job ran to him. And he could have said again and again, I give up. And then that. Push back against that. Push back against False teaching that life does not begin at conception. Push back and show that God is beautiful. The psalmist says, You have knit me and you formed me in my mother's womb. That God knows every single hair on your head, every detail of who you will become. Stand up for life. Push back against racism. Push back against this idea that there are first and second class citizens in America and the world because of the color of their skin. Push back against the idea that nobody can actually come to the table to disagree. We have gone out of tolerance into complete acceptance. If you don't accept me for who I am, then you are unloving. That is a false message. There are people we can disagree with and love. And so Christians, sometimes what we need to do is lay off of Facebook. And stop posting everything about how we hate others. And how they're this moron said this and that moron said that. Maybe what we need to do is pray that God would give us wisdom and grace and mercy. Extend and empathy. Learn to listen. Quick to speak or quick to listen and slow to speak. I think we start to measure on some of these things. But we'll start to see God on his way. Another thing about Facebook, friends, I, I, I like what Paul says to Timothy lead a quiet, godly life. Just because somebody has an opinion. And I love, I love social media. I love when you can connect with people about it. Man, I have to tell you, I play God on back a whole lot. You've probably just seen your pictures of my cats now. Or some project that I've done. Or some really funny meme because I can't run away from that one because it's hysterical. But let me tell you this. What you do online <coughs> represents who you are off. And if what you post online doesn't represent how you walk offline, then maybe you should reconsider what you post. Just a couple of little life lessons. And let me tell you, in the first place, I'm in progress with all this. I am not figuring this out. There are plenty of things that I say that I can get myself in trouble. I have not learned perfectly what to say exactly how to say it in all situations. But trust God.
Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that in him we have been made alive. That through his righteousness, we now are righteous. Through his death, we have died. Through his resurrection, we have come away. Father, we pray this morning that we would run with false teaching. And run again with the simplicity and complexity the gospel. So be with us now as we sing again the song of grace and love. God, may it be uh, kind of a response of what we have proclaimed together this morning. By grace and love.